Time does not heal all wounds. However, all wounds take time to heal. It's a very, just let that, let that set in there. And time does not heal all wounds. The antidote for healing is not just to let time pass, not, not just to let bygones be bygones, not just to sweep it under the rug, not just to have this big blow up and not ha- have a conversation about the real issues at hand and just let, let time heal all wounds. That doesn't heal all wounds. We're going to see that today. In our text, in, in Genesis chapter 42, if you want to be finding that. But I will say this, that it will take time to heal wounds. And if I would add anything to that, that second part of that statement, is that it takes intentional time. Great intentionality behind the healing process, that it's not just going to be okay over time. It, it will take some very focusedness, uh, focused part of it. And it may not be that if we don't heal properly, that we won't get gangrene. But if we don't heal properly, we might get bitterness. We might get other things that go on where we reproduce that same brokenness into the next generation. And so this is real. What, what George and Allison just talked about, what Joseph has been going through, what we've been talking about, it's kind of like breaking your arm or breaking some part of your body and, and, you think, ah, you know, I'm okay. I'll put a, I'll put a little uh, ace bandage on it. And I will go on, and I don't need to go see the doctor. But yet, you really do. You know those kind of situations, and your arm, arm begins to not heal properly. And then finally, after things aren't working right, nerve endings aren't acting right, you go see the doctor. Says, yeah, you should have come to see me months ago, or weeks ago, or days ago. Now we're going to have to re-break that part of your body. There's a, a level of pain that you thought you had in the beginning that you will have now uh, if you didn't have it in the beginning whenever you have to re-break what should have been fixed properly the first time. Intentional time will bring healing to those wounds. When you look at Joseph, we have been dealing with a man who has experienced tremendous amounts of trauma. He, too, has been stripped naked. We saw that in chapter 37. He was sexually exploited. He was sold. He, there, it, which then turned into a whole family secret that for 20 plus years will be a secret that will be being told. And we're going to even see it now 20 plus years later. I say 20 plus because we know it's at least 20 years, most likely 21, 22, 23 years. And yet the same family secret has been being told for over two decades. And what we're going to talk about when we this week and next week, it's a two-part message. There's no way I could cram it into one and do it justice because we're going to be looking at from chapter 42 to chapter 46 over the next two weeks. It's a two-part series on the pathway to healing. As we've been talking about this breaking free, now we'll start moving into healing. And we see in last chapter, in chapter 41, we see this promotion, this elevation that God brings upon Joseph's life. He goes from a prison cell to the palace uh, to being the prince of Egypt. It's a beautiful thing and a beautiful story, but there's intentionality. God has doing something there. We see the what happens last chapter, we see why it happens. We begin to see why it happens in this chapter today. And God does his things in the midst of it. And the healing process that Joseph's going to go through is not going to be a one-step sequential process, one-step, two-step, three-step. 
In fact, originally when I was putting this message together and outlining it and studying it and meditating on it, I literally had it in step one, step two, step three. Then I was like, no, 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 no. It doesn't always happen. A leads to B leads to C. Sometimes it's C to B to A. Sometimes it's C, B, A, whatever combination you want to be. You, 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 you don't always go in the same pathway towards healing. And that's why it's going to be important that we not try to sequence things out, but we realize that probably all of us will stop at some point in all of the steps forward, if you will, or advancement. Let's go back to Joseph's story. Joseph has been promoted. He has been promoted to the prince of Egypt, second in command, the second chariot behind the Pharaoh. He has climbed out of the mire. God has helped promote him out of the mire of his life, his story. He's living in a new land. Listen to this. He's living in a new land. He's got him a bride. He's got him some children. He's got him a job, and he is quite successful at his job. That is big. He is, you'd think that that alone is going to heal his wounds. He is promoted. He's successful. He's got a new family. He's got a new life. He's moved away from his family, his toxic family. And you'd think that alone is going to fix him. Well, in fact, he is so successful. He's pretty much the head of the, uh, the world food program because the famine, if you remember last week, there's a, he, Pharaoh sees a vision, has a dream. And he sees seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph helps interpret that dream. It's a beautiful thing. Last week's message. So now we're living in the famine. And what happens is this is not a localized famine just in the, in the nation of Egypt. This is going to be a global pan, uh, not pandemic, but a global famine in the sense that it is at least throughout the Middle East. Look at the, chapter 41, verse 57. It says, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph, to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So this is a at least a regional famine. This is one of those that people are coming and they're buying. Now just imagine this for a moment. Joseph was the one who helped Pharaoh see this. Joseph was the one who helped logistically plan it, execute on it, get everything in line. It's a beautiful thing for Joseph. Joseph's been promoted. He is now the CFO, the COO, and any other C you want to put in front of that. He is that, that at that level, and he is now feeding the world. Man, the, the world's looking at Joseph, and man, you've got it made. You've got it all figured out all along. Joseph is a person living with wounds from his past, and we're going to see them today. So let's take our Bibles, look at chapter 42, and get it in context. Chapter 42, incredible thing happens here. He has not seen his brothers, his 10 brothers who stripped him, sold him into slavery. He's not seen them for 22 years. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's at least 20. I'm going to go 22. And this is what we, what we find. When Jacob learned that there was grain, in, uh, grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, now listen to this next statement. Why do you look at one another? Can you just hear that in the dad? I mean, these boys, and I call them boys, even though they're 40 plus years old, you know, you can be a, a boy who shaves. You can be a boy who doesn't take responsibility at 40 and 50 and so forth. These guys are sitting there waiting for daddy to provide for them. And he's saying, hey, 
Haven't you heard? Why aren't you going down there and doing it? You find that in the, in the next few words. He says, and he said to them, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down, get on your camels and get down there and buy grain for us there so that we may live and not die. It's a matter of life and death. That's how severe it is. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin. Benjamin, for the record, is the only full-blood brother of Joseph. All the other brothers are half-brothers, okay? So just keep that in mind for future reference. Joseph's brothers, and he, with his brothers, and he f- uh, feared harm that might happen to Benjamin, who, who the him is. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So it was in Egypt, it was also up in Canaan. Now Joseph was the governor over the land. He was the one who sold all the people uh, uh, sold uh, uh, all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves down before him with their faces to the ground. Now stop right there. Can you imagine this moment in time? He has not seen these brothers in 20 plus years. He's lined up. He's dealing with one country after another country after another country coming through to buy grain to take back to their people. And here's just the next appointment on his calendar. And all of a sudden, who walks in the room? But it's the 10 brothers who sold him. What do you think is going on in the mind and the heart of Joseph? He hasn't seen them in years. They're the ones who betrayed him. What is he feeling? What is going on? What are they going to think when they see him? They round that corner behind his, the, the assistant brings him in. They come in and this is what happens. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. Stop reading. We'll come back in a moment. He recognized them. They didn't recognize him. He recognized them. What emotion was going on in Joseph at that moment? Just answer that for yourself. Was he, oh, good family's here. We're going to have a family reunion. We're going to get together. We're going to catch up on the 20 years that we've been apart. What kind of emotional response would you have if the people that have abused you, caused trauma in your life, and you haven't seen them for 20 plus years, turn around the corner, walk in the room, and you see them face to face? What kind of emotional response would you have? Let that sit there for a while because he stays in that hidden state. He doesn't unveil himself to who they are. They don't know who he is, but what we're going to see, and we're going to focus most of our attention on the offended, on Joseph, and not so much on the brothers. We'll deal with the brothers a little bit next week. But here's what I want us to see as we talk about a healing process. These are going to be strides that you're going to take into healing, okay? Again, I wanted to call them steps, but they're not steps. They're not always sequential. Sometimes you step to the side. Sometimes you step forward. Sometimes you take two steps forward. Sometimes you take three steps back. Sometimes you step back into pain before you can step forward into victory. You're going to step all over the page on your way to healing. There's not one straight path for all of us, as we will see in the life of Joseph. So here's the stride number one. And if there's anything, I think this is a stride backwards because he's going to step back into his emotional pain. And here's the step number one is you need to anticipate blindness, blindsides. 
You're going to have a day. You're going to have a moment. You're going to have an experience. You're going to have a conversation. You're going to have a, a smell. You're going to have a watch a movie. You're going to, you're going to do something. You're going to encounter somebody and you are going to be blindsided by the offense of your past. Maybe even the offender who offended you in the past, who hurt you. Cause here's one thing we got to realize every single one of us. In this room, if I could go from this side of the room to this side of the room, in all points in between, every one of us is carrying a wound. Every one of us is carrying a pain. Some are more deep, some are multiple, some are some have been long-lasting, some have been intentionally inflicted. Some of us are carrying on trauma that maybe we didn't even ask for it. We didn't even do anything. It came to us. And so there's no set formula for this, but understand, we are all wounded. This is what John Eldridge said in his book, uh, wild at heart. Every man, it's written to men, so I'm going to say every man or woman, carries a wound. I have never met a man or a woman without one. No matter how good your life may have seemed to you, you live in a broken world, full of broken people. Your mother and your father, no matter how wonderful, could not have been perfect. She was the daughter of Eve. He was the son of Adam. So there is no crossing through the country without taking a wound. And every wound, whether assaultive, it was intentional, or passive, it was unintentional. It is delivered with such force. And our reaction to it shapes our personality. It is a very significant way. From it flows the false self. Most men and women you meet are living out a false self, a pose which is directly related to the wound. Here's something that I want us to consider today. If you can embrace the fact that you've experienced wounds, you've experienced pain, you've experienced trauma, you've experienced something in your life of injustice, then let's just... Find one of those. Find maybe the one that bubbled to the top the most. Find the one that you've not told anybody else about. You've been carrying it for years and years and for decades. And I just want you to hold it loosely today and filter your strides of healing through that. Have I experienced this in my healing journey? Because here's what a lot of people like to do with pain and suffering and trauma is they want to get through it. They want to move on. They'll even say phrases like that. I'm going to get through this or I'm going to move on or you need to get past that. Is it, is that the right question? That I'm just going to get over and get past my wounds? Or maybe the question should be, how can I learn to live through my wounds? Because the wounds may not go away. The scars may never fully heal. The limp may always be there. But how can I find healing through the pain and the suffering? We're, we're, we're doing this study, putting it out there to all of you and kind of challenging all of you guys to be a part of a Church of the Heals group. This is not a gimme. This is a process that you're going to go through. This is not going to be a one and done. You're not going to hear me on Sunday morning and walk out. You're not going to just read the, uh, the, the text and just it's all going to go away. It's going to be a process. Henry Cloud says in his writings, Healing is a journey, not a moment. The strongest trees don't grow overnight. So let's talk about Joseph's pain. Encounter. Brothers round the corner. 
Ten brothers lined up. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. What was he feeling? What had gone on? What had he experienced in his life? He is encountering. Here's where most pain comes from. Most trauma comes from, believe it or not, strangely enough, families of origin. Families of origin can inflict so much pain, whether it's an uncle or it's a loved one, a husband or a wife, or it's a, a child. I can count on my hand this week alone five different conversations I've had with people that some are in this room of pains that have been inflicted at every single one of those traumas or by a family member. When you deal with a family of origin, you're going to find some stuff. You're going to see some stuff come up. Here's Joseph again. He's in a new land with a new wife and new kids, and he's got a new life and a new job, and he's promoted, and he's living high on the hog. He should be over this, right? Look at this. This gives me a hint in, the, in his healing process. Chapter 41, verse 50. Two sons were born to Joseph. Gets his mind off of his own childhood. Asenath, it was the daughter of, uh, of Potiphar, the priest of On, that was who his wife was. So he has a wife. He has two sons. Bore him Joseph, called the name of his firstborn. Now listen to this. This is a little hint into where he's at. Manasseh. For he said, this is why he named his son, God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. Now, I got a question for you. Is he learned, has Joseph learned to cope or is he covering? Coping with pain is one of the things that's good to do in a healthy way, if you cope in a healthy way. Covering is not healthy. Has he just covered it over? I've got a new wife. I've got new kids. I've got a new job. I've got a new house. I've got a new promotion. I've got all this kind of newness out there. And what that's going to do is that's going to cover over my hardship. I'm not going to remember it anymore. I'm going to be okay. I've moved on. I'm okay. You think he's okay until you read verse 7. I told you where to stop. Some of y'all read on anyway. I know that. Shame on you. And Joseph saw his brothers, and they recognized his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers. And he spoke roughly to them. He did not treat them as family. He did not treat them as, 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 as human beings. In fact, that word roughly, I did a word study on it. It is actually an agricultural term where you take a yoke of oxen and put it on an ox that's actually too heavy for the ox, so it's going to break the ox's back. So literally what he talks to his brothers is there's no way they're going to win. There's no way they're going to get out of this situation. He is turning up the heat. He is putting on the pressure. That tells me, that he's been covering and not coping. He's been getting through, forgetting about his past, but not dealing with his past. Situation happened to me in Sam's one day. Walking through Sam's with my little buggy, filling it up with all the stuff I didn't need. And I rounded a corner into down one of those aisles. I can remember that day like it was yesterday. And all of a sudden, I came face to face, cart to cart, with a person who has created some deep wounds in me. And it was one of those moments, I didn't turn down the aisle, oh, they're at the end of the aisle, let me go somewhere else. Or let me just leave the store. It was, 
cart to cart, face to face, eyeball to eyeball. Oh my gosh, what am I going to say? And in that moment, amazing grace built over me. Because what I would like to have said and wanted to say, and if I had time to think it through, said, I didn't say it. And I made it through it. And there was a cordial exchange. And I went home. And I got in the car. I can remember, I didn't wait to get home. I called Lori on the phone and said, you'll never believe who I just saw in Sam's. And you'll never believe. I didn't say what I wanted to say to them. But that's one of those blindside moments. You have no control over those moments. They come to you. And it could, nine times out of ten, it will be somebody that you love and that you trusted in your past and in your present or your in the future, it will happen again. I started looking up trigger points of trauma. How, how do I get thrown back into that trauma of my past? And um, l- Look at this list. This is what will trigger you back into trauma. Places, people, smells, seasons, songs, anniversaries. Is there anything not listed in that? Basically, you can smell something and it sends you back. You can see somebody and it sends you back. You can watch a movie and all of a sudden that movie takes you back. It's all of a sudden you have this emotion that rushes over you and you think it's been gone, but it's not gone. It's still there. I thought I put it behind me. It came back in front of you. The reality is that sometimes we don't get away from it another time that I did not do so well, that I did not call Lori on and tell her that, hey, I made it. I encounter a situation when Jordan was about, I don't want to say 12 to 13. She had a situation that happened on her birthday. And I got to understand, I've got to code this. I got to code this. Um, Happened on her birthday. That took me back to a birthday of mine when I was seven or eight. And it was just one question that she asked about one situation that was going on in the family that took me back to seven years of age. And I can tell you right now, I was so mad. I'll break into tears if I talk about it too long. About what was happening to her. And it's just a little thing, just a little thing. But it took me back to when I was seven and it happened to me. And I tell you what, I wanted to come unglued. I say all that to say, anticipate the blind side. You don't know when it will come, but it's a part of the healing process. The thing you've got to ask yourself, am I coping or am I covering? Because if you think you're just going to wipe it away, get it away, walk walk away from it, it's not. You're going to have to learn to live through it and find healing in it. Number two, you embrace your vulnerability. You got to just embrace it. It's going to take you to a weak spot. It's going to take you from a 37-year-old man, maybe I was, back to when you're seven years old. It's going to make you feel small. It's going to make you feel weak. This past week, thank you for your consistent budgeted generosity. The pastoral team was able to get away and do something that we haven't done. We don't do very often, but we did this past week, and we got away for a retreat, and it was all about making sure we are, as a pastoral team, are healthy. Because I can tell you this, we're a bunch of crackpots, and we need healing just as much as you need healing. And so we went through the same churches that heal, but it was for pastors and staff. And we have a book. You get a book if you go through it with a, with, with a group. Your book's about 30 pages. Ours is 60 pages. 
That's how messed up we are. And, and, and I have been slowly going through answering the questions. And I literally, I can't answer more than three or four questions a day before I'm emotionally spent or I'm too deep in I'm thoughts. And, and so I'm processing through this. But I want to say, first of all, thank you for letting us, helping us go. But here's one of the statements that Henry Cloud made that I bolded. And I want to share it with you today. Your feelings are your property. That may be the most worthy statement you may get today. Others people's feelings are their responsibility. We should always be sensitive to the feelings of others, but we should never take responsibility for them. The Bible sends a clear message that we must be responsible to others, but not for them. When I realize that I am truly responsible for my emotions, you are truly responsible for your emotions, I don't make you feel a certain way, and you don't make me feel a certain way. I own my emotions. If I give them over to you and let you run them, yeah. But I've got to understand who I am, where I am, what I own. What's going on with these brothers right now as they're encountering this guy sitting on the throne speaking roughly to them and doesn't, they don't know him and they're thinking, oh my gosh, what did we get ourselves into situation? What are they doing? They continue to lie their family secret lie. He wants to know how's dad doing back home. So he starts asking exploratory questions. Look at verse 13. You'll see it here. He says, and he said to them, we are servants and 12 brothers and 12 brothers. Oh, there's 13, 12 brothers. Sons of one man in the land of Cana. And behold, the youngest, the youngest is this day with his father. So Benjamin's still back home. And one is no more. One's dead and gone. One's no longer here. Who's that one? Joseph. They're still living a lie that Joseph is dead and gone. He, can you imagine now the layer of emotions is rushing over him? I am not only been all of this happened to me, but now my brothers are counting me off as not even living. I'm not a living person anymore. Can you imagine now what's rushing over him? The pain. He was sold for 20 shekels of silver. Listen to this. 20 shekels of silver which is about $120 translated for us today. Do you know if you go to Athens, George and Allison told me this. If you go to Athens today, you can buy a person and own a person for $1,000. 800 euros. Under $1,000. They're yours. Enter into the emotions of Joseph. What is Joseph feeling? What is he seeing? What is he looking at when he sees his brothers? He calls them spies no less than four times. No less. He does it, in, uh, he does it again and again and again. And then in notice, notice in verse 9, he says, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Now hang on to the word nakedness because he's going to emphasize it again in verse 12. And he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. That is no just a random choice of words. You remember the last time they saw that boy, 17 years old, naked in a pit before they pulled him out and sold him to the Midianites for, 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 for those shekels, 120 bucks? He was naked. 
he goes back to that trauma moment and he goes, you are looking at our nakedness. That word nakedness speaks of vulnerability. You're looking for vulnerabilities. You're looking for cracks. You're wanting to overtake us. Again, I cannot emphasize the the juxtaposition between the two. These are beggar boys, 10 of them. He's the the second in command. He has all the authority to rain down on them and kill them all. But yet he is living in fear. That's what trauma will do. It will create a disequilibrium in a relationship that is unhealthy and is broken. They're feeling the nakedness. You're looking for the nakedness. You're, that vulnerability, this same word is used not only here in Genesis, but it's used in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, when it spoke of the nakedness that they saw themselves in Adam and Eve, knew that they were naked. They were vulnerable. And what did they do? They went and covered themselves up. The irony is, you go to the last verse of chapter 2, they were also naked, but they were unashamed. What happened between chapter 2 and chapter 3? Sin enters the world. And when sin entered the world, all of a sudden nakedness became a dirty word, a vulnerable word. And they have to cover it up. They have to hide it. They have to run from it. It spoke of weakness. David uses the same word in Psalm 141, verse 8, for his defenselessness. When you feel defenseless, when you feel naked, when you feel vulnerable, when you feel like you're exposed, when you feel like the enemy is about to pounce on you, you need to realize that's true. You need to realize that you're feeling that way. You need to feel that feeling and name it because it is what you are going through. And here's a man, again, I can't emphasize this enough, Joseph, who grew out of all of the brokenness, but yet he was still broken on the inside. He was still dealing with the wounds on the inside. And you don't always see that. You can go out into this world and you can live in a gated community. You can drive foreign cars. You can, you can, you can dress to the nines. Remember, Joseph is now wearing gold necklaces, not chains. We talked about that last week. Fine linen clothes, not rags. He's no longer naked. He, he's in a power position, not the weak position, but yet he feels that way. Number three, and I'm finished. Respond through God's eyes instead of reacting out of emotion. This is going to take incredible amounts of self-discipline, not to react emotionally whenever you want to do certain things. He calls them spies. He says, you're looking for our nakedness. You're looking for our vulnerability. What he does then is he turns around in verse 17 and he throws them in jail. He puts them in jail. Verse 17, read that with me. He said, he put them all together in custody for three days. Now, I don't know where he went, where he put them, but would it be ironic that the same jail the same prison, the same shackles that, that Joseph was in for 10 years if he was not putting his same brothers in the same jail. Now, how long was he going to be there? I don't know. It says for three days. Now, it doesn't say that it was his intent. I think he was locking them up. He was going to let Pharaoh deal with it. We got spies. They're looking for our vulnerability. Again, he says it again and again. He truly believed you guys are out for evil I'm going to lock you up. You're not going to do this to our country. You did it to me. You're not going to do it to this country. You did it to me once. You're not going to do it to me again. 
He's putting a stake in the ground. He locks them up. Three days later, he calls them back out. And it's when he calls them back out that you get to see that he calmed down. He moved away from reacting emotionally to responding through God's eyes. Verse 18, the very next verse. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. Basically, your life's on the line. You got another chance. That's called grace. And here's why. Because, for, for the reason I fear the Lord. All of a sudden, he no longer looked at his offense, at his offenders, and only saw the offense and only saw the offenders. He was now looking at the offense and at the offenders through the lens of the Lord. He had a different filter on. I can see you differently. I will see you differently. I'm going to extend grace to you. I do this out of a fear of God, out of respect for God, out of I want to be like God. I was um, with a one another brother. If you don't know what one another brothers are, come see me afterwards and I'll tell you about them. I was with a one another brother not too long ago and I was talking about somebody who just kind of I've offended them and they've offended me. And I was vetting, is what I would call it, complaining. And this brother, just as calmly as could be, said these words to me and I went and wrote them down. You're harboring some pain, bro. You're harboring some pain. What does harbor mean? means to hold it, to keep it close. I'm holding that pain. I'm not letting that person be free. I'm not letting myself be free. I'm holding it and I'm harboring it. Who has hurt you? Are you harboring pain? Are you ready for justice of fire to fire down on them? Or are you looking at them through the lens of fearing God and giving them the same kind of love that the God the Father gives you. And when I look at Joseph again, I mentioned there were nine ways that Joseph was like Jesus. And I want to add one more because there's another one I saw this weekend in my study. One more is that just like Jesus is a mediator, we have Joseph as a mediator. He's just like Jesus. Because what happened was, is he was, they were spies, they were in the land, they were looking for the nakedness. He could have called up to, to Pharaoh at any time. Pharaoh would have said, off with their head, I don't have time for this. Get rid of them. But he doesn't do that. He actually comes and says, you can live. I'm going to extend life to you when I can take your life from you. An incredible changing of attitudes, changing of hearts that goes, goes on here. And I think about what is a mediator? A mediator stands in the gap. Whenever we deserve justice, the mediator stands in the gap and advocates for us. Advocates for us. When it says that Jesus is our mediator, it says there is one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. He's standing in the gap. And it says in in Romans chapter 8 that he stands in there and he's there interceding for us. Jesus is between our justice God and our broken world And Jesus is in the middle 
giving us another chance, giving us a chance for redemption, a chance for hope. I want to be a Joseph. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be. But sometimes I harbor pain, bro. And I hang on to it. And I turn to be more like Satan than I do like Jesus. Because what does Satan do? He's the accuser. He stands before the Lord too. And it's not to tell him all the good things we're doing or the grace that we need. It's basically to accuse us day and night before God. That person's not worthy. That person's shameful. That person's broken. Look at all their faults. Look at all their all the things that they've done wrong. Satan is speaking to the Father, saying, hey, these are all the things done wrong. Jesus is speaking to the Father. No, grace covers that. No, grace covers that. No, grace covers that. Who am I more like? I'm more like Satan sometimes. And I need to be more like Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to sing a song that we have been singing throughout this series. It's God turning around. The words go, cause all of my hope is in your name, is in the name. The name of Jesus, breakthrough will come. Come in the name, the name of Jesus. I can tell you this. The only way I'm going to not harbor pain is I'm going to have to apply the grace of Jesus on it. We need to forgive and we need to be forgiven. We're going to be blindsided at times. We're going to want to burst out in defense of our own vulnerability. And I get it. Yes, I get it. But somehow, we're going to have to find the ability to see them, the offender, through the lens of Jesus. Father God, Whatever needs to be turned around in our lives, turn it around. In the name of Jesus, turn it around. Breakthrough will come in the name of Jesus. Turn it around. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and sing this.